One of the things that really strikes me as we're reading through the Gospel of Mark, and we're reading it through fairly chronologically, uh, piece after piece, we're just following along the story as it goes. One of the things that really strikes me about one of what Mark is saying to us is he keeps lifting up this theme of greatness, or more precisely, the theme of our human desire to be great. It keeps coming up time and time again in the middle section of Mark here. And so it strikes me that this is a very important uh, point that Jesus is trying to make here, that Mark is lifting up about Christ's message to all of us. You know, it's to be expected that this was coming up time and time again with the disciples and others around Jesus as they traveled with him and as he taught and as he did his great works among people. They were seeing Jesus do these mighty and miraculous and amazing things. They were seeing Jesus become this figure this important figure in the life of Israel, someone that everybody knew. They may not have known him by sight, but they knew about him by reputation. And so when he'd come into town, there would be a stir. Is this the Jesus of Nazareth that we have heard about? Is this the one that we have heard about, the one who does great and mighty things, the one who is going to bring about God's kingdom, the one who is going to chase out those Romans and set a new rule in place? As he went about, he got more and more famous and more and more well-known. And the disciples as well, they were getting caught up in a lot of that. I can only imagine. The people around them kept talking about who this Jesus was and what he meant to the people of Israel. And even though Jesus was talking about what the kingdom was going to look like and what it would entail for he himself... The disciples, too, were probably ingrained with that vision that I just mentioned, the, the, the warrior king coming in on the horse and on the steed and chasing the Romans out and, and getting rid of the corrupt, corrupt current puppet government and leading Israel into a new reality and lead, leading them in this new reality as king, as lord, as ruler over all. And for some of the disciples, you can't help but realize that, that they were looking at that from that perspective. They had heard Jesus talk about what that really meant, but really in their minds, this is what it was. And they couldn't help but think that if Jesus was going to be in charge, if Jesus was going to be Lord and ruler of all in this way that they had in their heads, he was going to need some help, right? He was going to need some advisors. He was going to need some trusted people around him, right and left-hand men, important men that made important decisions and did important things and were part of this new rule and this new, uh, this new hierarchy and this new uh, group of people that would guide Israel. And so James and John they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, really, we've been thinking about this. You, know, you remember that debate that we were talking about a while ago? Again, forgetting some of the lessons that they had learned about who was the greatest. James and John were like, we, we think that it's us. And so we're just going to ask you, would you please make us your right-hand man and your left-hand man? Who, it doesn't matter who's the right and who's the left, but really, 
it's us, right, Jesus? We're the most important guys to you. It's, it's us. We're, we're the ones who are your most trusted disciples. Maybe they did miss the point that Jesus had been making about what was going to happen to him at, at the end with his death, crucifixion. Maybe they did miss the point about what Jesus was going to have to endure. And that's the, maybe that's the, the point of Jesus' question to them about, are you able to uh, be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Are you able to drink the cup that I must drink? But maybe they really did get it, and they were willing to go along with him to the end. We don't really know that, and I'm not sure that that matters, really, because... Jesus always had this way. When the disciples would come to him with these crazy things, when the disciples would come to him with these ideas that he must have just been like, no, that's not what we've been talking about, James, John, that's not what we've been talking about. He, got, he never got exasperated with them. He just had this beautiful way of redirecting them and helping them focus on what was really important. They said, yes, Lord, we are able to be baptized with the baptism that you have been baptized with. And yes, we are able to drink the cup that you will drink. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. Come along with me. There's a great passage a while before that we read several weeks ago. Take up your cross and follow me, right? Yes, please come along. Be baptized with this baptism. Drink the cup that I am to drink. Come along, but... As for being the most important people in the kingdom, it's not for me to decide. Because it's not what you think it is. He was redirecting them. He was redirecting them and with them the entirety of the disciples that were following them and telling them, again, guys, you're coming at this all wrong. Because in the kingdom that God is creating, it's not going to be about who is the greatest and who is the most amazing and who gets to be the rulers and the leaders and make the laws and the decisions. In the kingdom that God is creating, that's not the point and that's not how we're called to live. In the kingdom that God is creating... We are sisters and brothers. In the kingdom that God is creating, we are a community taking care of each other. In the kingdom that God is creating, we are walking together hand in hand, following God's word, following God's will, seeking God's way in everything. God's justice, God's righteousness, God's peace. This is what the kingdom will look like where there will be no more war and suffering, where there will be no more need for leaders to guide the people because we will all be working together. It was this beautiful vision. It is this beautiful vision of what the world should be as we walk together hand in hand. And so he reminds them that it's not about being important. It's not about being in charge. It's not about getting the glory and the honor and the praise, but it's about something more, something that really is important. The coming of God's kingdom and what that means for all of us.
I think this is a really important message for us to hear today, too, for all of us here. Because we all aspire to be great, don't we? Come on, admit it, all of us. In the deepest part of our hearts, we all want to be pretty great. We all want to be important in one way or another. We want to make a difference in the world and to be noted for that difference. We want to do something that gets our name written down in the history books. We want to make our mark on history. We want to make our mark on our community. We want respect. We want people to look up to us. We want people to know that we are good and important people, even if it's just a little bit. Even if it's just a little bit, sometimes we just want someone to recognize us and appreciate what we do, right? And that's understandable. It's part of human nature. It's part of who we are. We do things and we want people to recognize it and we want to be lifted up as important. No one wants to slog along day after day and go unrecognized and unappreciated. But we have to be very careful with this because once we get into this attitude of, of looking for recognition and looking for respect and looking for uh, people to lift us up and honor us for what we do, we get into very dangerous territory because it can so easily become about us. And when it becomes about us, it's no longer about God. It becomes about doing the work to get the praise rather than doing the work to praise the one whom we are doing the work for. I told this story to a couple of people. Um, it happened several weeks ago. There was a late night meeting here, and I, I think it was actually the financial stewardship meeting last month. And I needed to leave. And as I did so, I was pulling out of the church parking lot. And you know how our parking lot is pretty dark at night. 40th Street is pretty dark at night. Uh, this, this entire area of the city, uh, we, we're not well lit. And so it was pretty dark. And as I'm pulling out of the church parking lot, I noticed that there is a car parked right in the driveway there, right when you're turning off of 40th into our, into our parking lot. And I looked over, and I could see somebody crouched over on the sidewalk, bent over, kneeling over something. And I could tell that something was terribly, terribly wrong. My first thought is that someone had a medical emergency, and they had pulled over to, to take care of it, something. And so I throw the car in park, and Kenny was with me, and I say, I'll be right back, buddy. I turn on music for him, and I run out, and I take a look, and I get out there, terrified of what I might see, and I see this young woman, early 20s, and she is bent over on the sidewalk, kneeling over, crying, petting a cat. As she was driving down 40th Street, 
she had seen a car go very, very fast and hit this cat that was trying to cross the road, and the cat went flying, and she pulled into the church parking lot, and she ran across 40th Street to pick up the cat, to drag it back to the sidewalk, to lay it down, to try to give it some help. She sat on that dark sidewalk, probably for about half an hour, maybe longer. She'd been there for a while before I got there, and she was there a while after I had to leave. She sat there on that dark sidewalk to comfort a dying cat. And in that moment, I saw a beautiful act of love a beautiful act of courage, and a beautiful act of respect for the life that she saw around her. No one would have known what she had done. She didn't pull over for an award for from the ASPCA. She didn't pull over for an award from the Humane Society. She didn't pull over for any reason but to give a dying cat comfort and care. Because she didn't want that cat to die alone. And one of the most beautiful things about it is that in that moment, in in that cat's final moments, that cat knew love. Now I'm talking about a cat. But there are these acts of beauty and grace, and love, and quiet care happening around us each and every day with people who are quietly serving for no reason other than they are called to serve. There are these beautiful moments of grace and mercy that are happening around us each and every day, and no one receives praise and honor and glory in those moments, but the love of God is known and the love of God is felt. I see around me each and every day people who come to serve others as Christ served them. And when they do it for that reason, when they do it because that's what they are called to do, not because they want recognition or praise, it is beautiful and there is great glory and honor happening in that moment. And that is when I see the kingdom. The kingdom that God is promising, the kingdom that God is bringing, the kingdom that God is showing us is possible when we set ourselves aside and the work becomes not about us, but about the work that we are called to do by God. And so, sisters and brothers, I ask you this morning, what are the ways that you can do this? Can you set aside your ego? Can you set aside your own personal drive for recognition and respect? It's hard, I know. It's that natural human drive, but can we do that? Can we set that all aside and do the work that we are called to do for no other reason than God has called us to do it for God's good and God's glory in this world? Can we do that? I believe that God gives us the strength and the courage to do so, to show God's word and to share God's love with all of God's children. 
in ways that are beautiful and powerful and amazing. Before we end here this morning, I want to read you a a section of a very powerful sermon that was preached on February 4th, 1968. This sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and it was preached exactly two months before he was assassinated. And at the very end of his sermon, it's like he knew that this was coming, right? Because at the very end of his sermon, he talks about his funeral and his death and and what he would want to be said at his funeral. And he says to the gathered congregation, he says, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That, that's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to live my life to clothe those who are naked. I want you to say that on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind, but I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. He goes on to say, If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I, sh- if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the Master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want there to be in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. Sisters and brothers, can we live our lives in this way? Can we live our lives in this way? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning we come to you confessing that too often we are driven by a desire to be recognized for who we are and what we do. Help us to shed that desire, O Lord, and to instead seek to serve you. And help us to help somebody as we pass along. Help us to cheer somebody with a word or song. Help us to show somebody when they're traveling wrong. 
to do our duty as a Christian aunt, to bring salvation to a world once wrought, to spread the message as you taught. Help us, O Lord, that our living will not be in vain, that it's not for us, but for you. We pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen.